0: Welcome back. I'm Anastasia Glova and this is the second part of today's podcast special. This is Brink Lindsey's answer to David Brooks. What do you make of the point Brooks advances that upscale voters tend to be moderate, democratic, or very liberal? Is affluence really leading to a libertarian direction if affluent people are voting for Howard Dean, for example?
1: Well, I think he said it depends on the part of the country, so that in red states, more upscale people tend to be conservative, whereas in blue states, more upscale people tend to be either moderate or quite liberal. But moderate or quite liberal for – perhaps libertarian reasons, that is, they may be very scared by the religious right, or they may be very opposed to the war, which would be classified as liberal in the conservative liberal dichotomy, but more libertarian in our sense of the word. So I think that, of course, upscale voters are not necessarily libertarian in their policy preferences or policy positions. But what I'm talking about is a more general sense of basic political values. And I think you tend to see a general Economically conservative, socially liberal kind of attitude of supporting markets, supporting economic change, also supporting cultural change and cultural openness that I think those are the values that libertarian policies are the best at promoting.
0: In his podcast, David Brooks essentially declared the Reagan era over. He was actually very clear in his belief that the problems of today are fundamentally different, having to do with security, decentralized threats, and issues that governments, not individuals, must grapple with. Thoughts?
1: Well, certainly the era is different. We don't have 70% tax rates. We don't have stagflation. And so the, the kind of urgently felt need to have dramatic changes in economic policy aren't there right now because our economy is doing relatively well. Uh, so the case for limited government, I think, today is subtler than it was in Reagan's era. That much is true. But is the relevance of a limited government agenda gone now? No, of course not. We're much closer today than we were 25 years ago to the fiscal crackup caused by our entitlement commitments that we can't afford. We've had another quarter century of substandard performance of our schools because they continue to be in a state-run monopoly system. So I think there are still enormously important goals that only a limited government agenda can support. But I think he's right at least in saying that it's a tougher political sell these days than it was back in 1980 or 1981.
0: Should government be there to give people the necessary tools to enable them to compete in the global economy, as Brooks argues, or should government stay away from
1: that? I'm not even quite sure what that means. The only thing that occurs to me, obviously, as far as giving tools is government support for education. And I think it's pretty clear that the way in which government has been supporting education through providing government-run schools and a monopoly system hasn't worked very well at all. And we need a more decentralized competitive system through vouchers or tax credits in which you have perhaps government support for education, but private provision of education. So I think that if you're concerned about providing people with the tools to compete in the global economy, you ought to be a libertarian.
0: The tools he's talking about also have to do with providing security. It's these threats from decentralized actors that people are now concerned with. So which is it then? Does government threaten liberty? Or as Brooks says, does security lead to freedom?
1: Well, both of those, I think, are so general that they're both true in certain senses. So, of course, we need security to be free. We need national security. We need security from crime. Those are basic functions of government that if they are not provided, we don't have a vibrant free society. On the other hand, the idea that the most important issues these days are our insecurities, our insecurities about terrorism or global warming or globalization or global pandemics. I think that's not a constructive or useful vision for politics of the 21st century. I think that it's interesting on substantive issues, David and I agree on much, as he said in his podcast, he's in favor of social security personal accounts, he's in favor of entitlement reform, he's in favor of more liberal immigration Policies, all libertarian issues, and sometimes distinguishing from right wing conservative positions. But he wants to put his substantive policy positions in this kind of big picture of a sort of a collectivist, big government, authoritarian. Kind of solution to our insecurities. And I think that although David is a very smart and sensible guy, if you have a politics based on appealing to people's sense of insecurity, which means appealing to their fear and ramping up that fear so they feel they need government, that's a very illiberal style of politics and one that's very easy to get out of the hands of smart, sensible people like David Brooks and into the hands of demagogues. So I think it's much wiser and much more in keeping with the general culture of this country to appeal to our individualism our sense of personal responsibility, that government provides a framework within which the free society operates. But basically, the main business of America is private people pursuing their own dreams.
0: Now, his political point about voter preferences, going back to the first question, is it still politically pragmatic to think of things in terms of how Reagan did?
1: I think that we are in a new era and that just hearkening back to sort of canonizing Reagan is not terribly constructive. I think it seems tired and stale to me. Nonetheless, I think there are very powerful arguments for addressing the problems we have today, the problems of immigration, the problems of a misguided drug war, the problems of a looming entitlements crisis, all of which call for libertarian solutions.
0: Brink, thank you. And thanks, as always, for listening to the Cato Daily Podcast. If you like what you hear, please visit our website, www.cato.org, for many more audio and video offerings from Cato.